Hello, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. It has been a week of extraordinary events for the Liberal side of politics in Australia. On the one hand, the Senate threw out what has been called the most draconian anti-worker laws seen in Australian Parliament since the Howard Government. And the Commissioner of the Royal Commission into Unions has been outed as a Liberal acolyte. Later, we'll talk to Jed Carney, President of the ACTU, about the Senate rejection of the Australian Building and Construction Commission and Registered Organisations Bills, and why it is so important to our working lives. But first, to the misstep by Commissioner Dyson Hayden. Some might say that the wheel of fortune is turning against a federal government hell-bent on destroying Australian unions. You remember the Royal Commission with the name that is like the joke that starts, when did you stop beating your wife? The Royal Commission into Trade Union Governance and Corruption. It was kicked off by Prime Minister Abbott in February 2014. The ACTU calls it an $80 million witch hunt while Martin Ferguson, former Labor Minister and former ACTU President, who was officially censored at the last ALP conference for his anti-union comments, calls it potentially very important in reforming the trade union movement and the Labor Party. It was established by the Abbott government to inquire into alleged financial irregularities associated with the affairs of trade unions, but its remit specifically focuses on five unions, the AWU, the CFMEU, the uh, CEPU, that's the Communications Electrical Electronic Energy Union, and the Health Services Union, and the Transport Workers Union of Australia. This week, the Commissioner was sprung, accepting an invitation to be the keynote speaker at a Liberal Party fundraiser. The ACTU has started the process to have Dyson Hayden removed from the Commission and notable QC Mr Julian Burnside has stated that since Mr Hayden is an honourable man, he would expect him to resign because of an apparent conflict of interest. Mr Hayden himself is thinking about it. Here are some excerpts from a speech made in Parliament by Labor Senator Stephen Conroy on Tuesday the 18th of August on the subject of Commissioner Hayden, the Commission and its master. Well, let me read to you the following quote. Probity may be affected by conscious bias for or against a particular litigant or class of litigants. The law compels judges who have such a bias or may reasonably be thought to have such a bias, to disqualify themselves. That is a quote from none other than Justice Dyson Hayden from a 2002 address to an assembled gaggle of his right-wing friends. Pithy and accurate, Justice Hayden was striking at the heart of the values that underpin our society's approach 
to justice. But Justice Hayden and the Royal Commission over which he presides have departed so far from these values that their respective roles have now become untenable. Furthermore, Mr Abbott's $80 million Royal Commission has been exposed as the cynical political star chamber that it is. Tony Abbott, Mr Abbott, he did keep an election promise. He took the necessary steps to establish a Royal Commission that would be specifically tasked with pursuing his political opponents. No pretense about this at all. Its whole job was to denigrate former Prime Minister Julia Gillard, to attack and undermine and smear the current leader of the opposition. It was immediately clear to all that this Royal Commission would act as the Liberal Party's publicly funded political dirt unit. But Mr Abbott needed someone to head this dirt unit up. Enter Dyson Hayden. The Hayden Royal Commission wantonly ignores the standards that have been established and upheld by Royal Commissions before it. Accepting hearsay, refusing objections and cross-examinations, double standards for different witnesses and even providing detailed briefings for the media. Dyson Hayden has overseen a Royal Commission totally failing principles of natural justice. Totally failing. They even stand there and, as they've got witnesses walking into the box, start distributing to the press gallery before the witnesses have even sat down or are handed it themselves the documents they're going to be cross-examined on. So the first time the witnesses get to see documents is as they're handed to the media. This is a star chamber that is about nothing more than helping this pathetic government get re-elected. This Royal Commission has been put in place, this star chamber, this quasi-judicial theatre charged with smearing and slandering the Liberal Party's political opponents. But Dyson Hayden's bias and partisan ways were finally exposed by the revelation that he had agreed to address a Liberal Party fundraiser. An absolute slam dunk case. Tony Abbott will do anything to attack his critics. So he set up what he told us was an independent Royal Commission into unions. Yet the man he handpicked to head it up also agreed to be the headline act at a Liberal Party fundraiser. Independent, Mr Abbott? Honestly. Authorised by Emma Connor for the CFMEU West Melbourne. You are listening to Stick Together, Workers' Stories and Union News. I'm Annie McLaughlin. We're on the topic of Commissioner Dyson Hayden's tumble from grace. He apparently absent-mindedly accepted a Liberal Party fundraiser speaking engagement. I spoke to historian and writer Humphrey McQueen for an appraisal of the case of the befuddled Royal Commissioner. You has said categorically from the beginning of this uh, Royal Commission that it's a $80 million political witch hunt. It's just constantly pulling up stuff that's supposed to leave mud on the reputations of, as you say, more militant unions. 
and it's quite clear that there's an agenda. But in this case, the uh, Royal Commissioner has misstepped, hasn't he? Well, yes, he has, and that's partly because he's just an arrogant shit. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, if you look at, you know, everything that we know about him, how did he get the job? Well, by talking at the Quadrant dinner where Howard was there, and he got stuck into the High Court for giving the kinds of judgments that, you know, like, like Marbo and things. Howard was looking for more what he called big C conservatives, and what he landed was a big R reactionary. But he was touting for the job. Even the most conservative lawyers were really shocked at his behaviour on that occasion because it was clearly this speech was a job application. And that's how he got on the High Court. Um, when he was there, he gave all the, you know, the right reactionary judgments that you could expect. When he retires, he then does two extraordinary things. He then makes another attack on the High Court on the fellow judges. He says how arrogant they are. Well, talk about the rage of Caliban, you know, looking at himself in the mirror. But he said, you know, they've got all these, you know, ideas about how great they are and, you know, they're overthrowing the rule of law, he says. Now that's this ongoing discussion that they have, that law that's been created through judgments versus law that's been created by legislation. Yes. But for him, of course, you know, and for the, for the likes of him, they will come down with any judgment that's going to suit the, the powers that be and the owners of productive capital. The other thing he does, he gives another speech to the so-called Centre of Independent Studies, which we know, of course, is totally dependent on the big end of town, where he says, amongst other things, that the, the talk about Abbott's religion is like the Nazis' attack on the Jews. You know, this was only a couple of years ago, just before he went on to the commission. Everything we know about him is that this misstep is not a misstep for him. He's been marching to that tune all his life. He's an absolute and total reactionary. He must, it must have been enormously difficult for him in the last 18 months not to express his real hatred and contempt of working people and of organised labour. There's a lot of it there if you see the way he behaves, but... The real thing is this is not some aberration. This is how he is. You know, he's actually been caught at the kind of person that he is, but really only caught, not because he attacked the militant unions, but because he attacked the sweetheart dealmaker in a uh, $40,000 bill. Oh, that's an interesting um, analysis, I'll have to say. Uh... What's really significant about this is that the ALP sat there on their hands through all of the Royal Commission when they were getting stuck into the unions, you know, I mean, that's a divided story because you've got the, the you know, the, uh, the corrupt unions who were, who were the ALP, um, the health services people like uh, Williamson and things, and they, you know, they were, they didn't want to get involved in that. And, of course, they were equally happy that the militant unions, uh, like the CFMEU, were being... Um, kicked in the gut, because that just continued Gillard's program of keeping what she called her tough cop on the block. So we heard nothing much from them until Dyson Hayden makes the big mistake of summoning the cellophane man, otherwise known as $40,000 bill. And at that point, the ALP decide, oh, this is a political commission. <laughs> you know, as if, as if it hadn't been political from day one, except it's not political simply in the parliamentary sense, 
which is what they're now going on about. Oh, he's a Liberal supporter. He's not an ALP supporter. So that's the reason you give for it being clearly uh, established that he's made it, you know, because uh, he's, he's agreed to go to this uh, talk. He did. Yes. And now he's withdrawn from it in the face of agreements he made in his position as Royal Commissioner not to do such stuff. I mean, that's pretty arrogant. Well, totally arrogant. We all forget things. But in this case, even if, he, if it was an honest mistake, it's an that honest be a problem mistake in that itself. exposes yeah. the fundamental dishonesty in the fact of his pretending that he could be in any way unbiased in dealing with organised working people. You know, you just have to think, I mean, he's going to walk away from this commission with fees, multiple, that any ordinary worker could earn in an entire lifetime. When he was at the bar, you know, he got caught up in this, um, you know, scandal over the mutualisation of the NRMA, and he was, he and two others were made to pay back, pay back $21 million between them. I mean... $7 $7 million each in fees that he's taken. Anyone who could earn that kind of money, really, they would need the Archangel Gabriel to come down and tell them that they weren't to be biased. George Bernard Shaw rightly said, all professions are conspiracies against the public. They all stick together. We've seen it with the church. We see it with corrupt police. We see it through the medical profession. They don't dob each other in. And the moment there's any attack on the majesty of the law... What we're seeing, of course, is one of those occasions on which the realities of the impartiality of the law is being exposed and brought into question. There needs to be much more of it. What shouldn't have happened, and a lot of, you know, a number of lawyers and judges would say this, is that no High Court judge should ever accept a job as Royal Commissioner on anything because it brings the whole question of the impartiality of the High Court into the political process. Uh, So there's a group of them who'd say, on any issue, you shouldn't do this. If you want a Royal Commissioner, you get someone from some other uh, area completely. And we saw this, of course, with the uh, uh, Coal Royal Commission um, into the building industry. They got a QC from outside to do it. Because you'll very often find that the Supreme Court or the High Court as a body puts pressure on its members and say you are not to do this because it just entangles us in a political process. We have to maintain the division of powers. And the moment you step over into this, you're moving into the executive. And this is bad for the whole legal system. The reality, of course, is that the importance of the commission is in the bigger question of the class struggle. We have to see the commission as the continuation of work choices, the continuation of Fair Work Australia, uh, of all these attempts to do what global capital requires, which is the breaking of any way in which workers can organise to have control over the labour process at the point of production. That People on the left went around during the work choices saying, oh, it's all about cutting your wages. Well, it is. They don't want to pay us anything if they can get away with it. But more importantly for them is they have to control the application of labour time. They need to be able to discipline the workforce at the point of production where surplus value comes from. That's what they need. They need to be able to say, you work when 
for how long and as fast and as hard as we say without anyone interfering with us. Even sort of moderate unions that kind of get in the way of being able to do that. Of course, it's now told that this is flexibility. This is the wonderful thing. You know, single mums really want flexibility. They just want to be rung up an hour beforehand and told they've got to get to work or they don't get a shift. This is the rubbish that we are being fed about it. But it's not rubbish from the point of view of global capital. What we're seeing around the world, this thing that's called globalisation, is the universalisation of labour times, that the amount of labour time that goes into the production of any commodity, that is being globalised, and that's what the last 30 or 40 years have really been about. This is the continuation of work choices. They're not going to make the mistake of introducing something called work choices again, and the Royal Commission was part of that, and the China trade deal is another part of that to break down any capacity for organised workers to defend wages and conditions. So that we have to bring all these things together. We've got to understand them, that capital has these needs and that these people, whether they're Shorten or Abbott or, or Turnbull or any of them, these are the agents of global capital. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. You're with me, Annie McLaughlin, on Stick Together, focusing on union news and workers' stories. Last week, the Senate threw out the Australian Building and Construction Commission Bill and the Registered Organisation Bill. The ABCC Bill was to reinstate the ABCC, which is an industry-specific organisation with coercive powers, which some called a government attempt to micromanage the construction industry. The Registered Organisation Bill has been described as a bureaucratic method of destroying union organisation. It wanted to amend the requirements on officers' disclosure of material personal interests and change grounds for disqualification and ineligibility for office, increase financial accounting and disclosure obligations for registered organisations and their officers, and increase civil penalties and introduce criminal offences for serious breaches of officers' duties and new offences in relation to the conduct of investigations. And if uh, the experience of Queensland is anything to go by during the Newman period, the things that would be expected would be that uh, if you were disclosing your income, your partner also and all other people in association with you very uh, dicey stuff. Uh, It would have had its own commissioner, which uh, some people might say has a a whiff of Stalinism about it. Anyway, we spoke to Jed Carney about the defeat of these two pieces of anti-union legislation. These really are big wins. The Registered Orgs Bill, in particular, is a very nasty bill designed to really hamstring unions completely, make it almost impossible for them to represent Australian workers. It means that many union officials or people who volunteer their time to, say, sit on union councils or to be involved in the management of the union in any way could find themselves subject to multi-million dollar fines. 
Now, if you were just a, a mum or a cleaner, you know, doing your job every day, who wanted to be on the council of your union and contribute, it would certainly be a deterrent and stop you wanting to do that. Then, of course, there's the Australian Building and Construction Commission. I'm pretty sure everybody knows how really awful that bill is. It was designed to have fierce coercive powers that could intimidate health and safety reps, uh, intimidate union activists. Our past history shows with uh, the Australian Building and Construction Commission that it pretty much strips us not only of our union rights but, well, even civil rights. So uh, we're very pleased that both of these bills have been defeated. It's a, it's a, a really significant thing for us. We've got to really thank the the Labor Party, the Greens and in particular the crossbenchers who really stood up and took a stand for Australian workers on this one. Now the thing about the Australian Building Construction Commission, uh, you were able to show that uh, during the Howard years that workplace fatalities in construction peaked at uh, 48 deaths in 2006 and 51 deaths in 2007. Now that is an indictment, isn't it? Absolutely, and it just infuriates me when you hear uh, people who support the ABCC, like the Master Builders Association and the government, saying that it will make our construction sites more productive and more competitive and it'll, you know, pick up the pace of work outputs, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, well, all at the same time, our workers are dying because people are too frightened to speak up about occupational health and safety and because union activists can't do what they're supposed to do and that is stand up for their fellow workers. It's outrageous, really, that, that the proponents for this bill dare to talk about productivity. It's interesting, isn't it, uh, what is considered to be allowable on the ledger for productivity and um, what isn't allowed onto the ledger for productivity. Most people would consider it to be uh, not dying when you go to work would be actually part of a productivity. Not dying, not being injured, getting paid a decent pay and, and being able to speak up for your rights. It makes absolute sense. If you feel safe at work, if you feel you're fairly compensated, if you feel you have a voice in any of the processes involved in your work, you are going to be more productive. All of the evidence shows this right around the world, and yet here we are that have a government and employers that want to do exactly the opposite. And they do it in the name of productivity, so it's really a bit of a joke. Is that an indicator of who's actually at the table when it comes to policy? Sure it is. I mean, who dreamed up this? You know, you have to ask yourself, where do these things come from? And they come from a very ideological place where people simply do not like unions. In fact, I, I don't even think that productivity probably comes into the discussion when they're talking about these bills. What we know is that a lot of these things are designed for this government to get rid of their opponents, much like the Trade Union Royal Commission. What about equality? Uh, I'm not sure people in general have a perception that the removal of unions or perhaps the ability for unions to negotiate, that it's been shown in America, for example, that uh, that has increased the inequality between those who mm. uh, garner a huge amount of uh, wealth and those who have uh, reduced wealth. This has increased with the weakening of unions. Completely, absolutely. And, and we know that. We see it around the world and we live and breathe it. But we are actually finally getting some very clear evidence of this. The IMF, uh, the International Monetary Fund, which is, you know, hardly a bastion of progressive 
thinking, have been producing a lot of reports lately that show that where uh, unions are strong, those economies where people can organise and where they have good working standards, high living standards, high minimum wage, etc., inequality is lessened. It's really important that we take you know, some heart that a great big international financial institution like the IMF is finally realising that unions have a very strong role to play in reducing inequality. Just before I let you go, the Australian last week had a really interesting front page that uh, there was a secret (laughs) fund, fight back fund, you know, implying that uh, the unions were working in some kind of secret reds under the bed sort of a way. (laughs) I was really surprised. I thought, hadn't they read your press releases? Oh, look, I shouldn't laugh, but this has just been extraordinary. They ran a headline saying that we had a, a, were amassing a secret army, a secret army. You know, yes, and there we are in our orange fluoro T-shirts and I've done nothing but make speeches and hold meetings asking people to come along and support our cause. So, yes, it, it's really quite strange. And apparently this massive fund is anything from $30 million to $30 billion, if Ooh. you read The Australian on the weekend. So I have no idea um, where they think they're going with this. Uh, We had about 100 people ring us and ask to join the secret army last week. So I think it's backfired a little, which is kind of nice. Yes, it's obviously some sort of gambit leading to the next election. Yes, yes. But as we know from the Victorian election, you know, union bashing doesn't win you elections. At the end of the day, I really think people know that that's not where the real game is at when it comes to who should govern the country. It's health, it's education, it's rights at work, it's, you know, a decent public service, a fair taxation system. And these are things that people care about and they want to hear their politicians talk about. Stick together. 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 You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. That's it for Stick Together today. Thanks to you for listening. We have to thank Senator Conroy, Humphrey McQueen and Jed Carney from the ACTU for speaking to us today. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at stick.together at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 Today we'll go out with a track dedicated to Dyson Hayden who appeared to find it difficult to remember his need to be perceived as unbiased while acting as a Royal Commissioner. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Catch you next time. How can it be permissible? She'll compromise my principles. Yeah.
Irresistible. 